You're listening to a Talent Miles Talks podcast produced by Talent Miles, the company using digital approaches to create more dialogue and learning in teams and faster change in companies. Warmly welcome, officially, everybody, to this online event. Uh, there is, it's very difficult to know what to call events uh, these days. Are they webinars? Are they podcasts? Are they what are they? Uh, they are this this is all of that all of the above so you can have a podcast you can share it with your your your, your colleagues with your, your 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 friends and all of so you can we but 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 above all this will be a discussion that is recording recorded today so with us here we have a, in, in 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 the virtual studio my name is first of all Bumbumangus Salenius and I'm the co-founder of Talent Mask I think more to say about that at this point, because let's just go for the discussion. But joining me here in the navigator's role, again, is Professor Wim Heiselars. Wim, hello. Hello. Of Maastricht University. And there would be many things to say about Wim and his, his research and all. But I also know that Wim is, is one of those, I, I, I won't say rare researchers, but he's one of those keen to hear stories from the real the, the real life the real real from from uh, what's actually happening in the field he he thrives from that as do i of course but that's why let's 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 see what we can what, what we can come up to we have had an, uh, the privilege to interview a number of european business people on a variety of topics by now we especially during this pandemic uh, relating to leadership in in different in different uh, shapes and forms, but we haven't had the, the 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 special focus that we are going to have today. So today we welcome an inspiring guest in Noel Keeley, uh, CEO of Musgrave Group, Ireland's leading food distributor. It says in on on, on the website, and no 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 doubt. And but I was also want to 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 just make that note that for those of you with insights or 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 or, or remember memories of Irish towns and and village villages you 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 have certainly came come across many of the the strong brands of of, of musgrave so so uh, very welcome noel to, to, thank, to thank you very much Paul. to this session this, this will it will be a very interesting to hear what what uh, how, how you can what you can tell us without having to kill us so <laughs> uh, the um, the purpose of today is really just of course, obviously, we meet here to to understand more and to 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 seek support for sense making. I know many of the people who are now in the in 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 the audience listening to this conversation are actually developers. Actually, uh, they're also CEOs. There are there are people in the with, with different from different functions. Uh, hopefully, you will find uh, some some interesting insights into into really the leadership part. Of of of, uh, of of making, of actually approaching the next few months, which we all know will be very business critical and and, and critical in so many ways. And uh, we will get 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 down to that. But by inviting Noel Noel Keeley and featuring Musgrave, we have had a couple of special uh, special uh, ideas and and purposes. And I would say with the one of them is to to raise and discuss the factors that that makes it uh, possible for a company to continue adapting 
and reinventing itself despite the, 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 these times. And, and it will be very interesting to hear how Noel is, is looking, is, is attempting that together with his colleagues and his, and his, his network around, uh, around Musgrave. And also hearing comparisons from, from Wim as, as he has been observing so many other companies from different, different um, um, industries now. And hear that whether whether the, what we hear from from Ireland today whether it rings rings um, familiar also in Maastricht or, or and 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 or probably also in in Helsinki and second of course we wanted to explore a holistic view having Noel uh, join us here means that we can really hear sort of from a CEO's point of view what is what, what, how does it feel? <laughs> uh, what does it really mean to, to try to navigate people in, and, and, and also customers in your special model of business? Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, with this background, this, let, let's just kick, kick off. And uh, we, are, we, will not, we will try not to make this an interrogation, but we have a number of, of questions that we will just hit on and let's, let, let's have the discussion flow, flow flow from there and I think best it, it would be best Noel to if you would just could you just sketch out sort of first of all introduce yourself a little what, what would you what would you say the, the short version you, you choose and 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 maybe also uh, I mean if you would really pick an experience I know you have a long experience of developing and you're a keen a keen keen study of, of, of all things developing and leadership um, what what have you learned previously that you think now it really is good for you to know and that now you feel that, that that's a good thing I have with me? How would you do what, Can you give us a short insight to Noel Keeley? Okay, well, first of all, I should say thank you very much for the opportunity to participate. And hopefully those who are on the call or listening to the interview will uh, gain some value out of, out of what I have to say. Um, just to briefly introduce myself, as Bo has said, my name is Noel Keeley and I'm the Group Chief, Chief Executive of Mosgrave, which is Ireland's largest food uh, and beverage distribution company. Um, I actually was born in the Midlands of Ireland, so I'm not, uh, Mosgrave is based in, in, in Cork City, which is uh, into the south of Ireland. I was born in the Midlands. Um, I started work, interestingly enough, at the tender age of 13, working in a supermarket, um, learning what it was like to push trolleys and, and sweep floors and uh, indeed work behind what was then called the provisions counter, which we today we lovingly call the deli counter. Uh, but I spent six years doing that. Um, and little did I know uh, when I was doing that after school and in summer holidays and Christmas holidays that I was somehow going to find myself back working in retail, but there you go. That's the, that's the, the interesting uh, things that life perhaps presents you with that you don't expect. Um, I married and at that time in the late eighties, it was very uh, common to emigrate because the Irish economy was depressed. I spent 10 years working in Canada, predominantly actually in public service. Um, before I returned to Ireland in 1999, uh, to work with UCC, uh, University College Cork, as uh, Director and then Vice President of Human Resources. Um, I then left UCC after five and a half years and came to work 
for Musgrave, and that's where Bo and I first met. That would have been 2005. Um, and I spent the first five years working as the Group Human Resources Director. And then, as I say, sometimes just to perhaps a, a, irritate my human resource colleagues, I then got a real job uh, to work as the Managing Director of uh, Musgrave Wholesale Partners, which is the wholesale side of our business, uh, which deals predominantly in smaller retail outlets, but also a significant food service uh, business, delivered food service. And then in 2014, um, I took over responsibility for running our business in Northern Ireland as well, which uh, is retail and wholesale and our two flagship brands. We operate in that market, Super Value and Centra. And that all of that has then culminated in my uh, appointment in just in 2020, in January 2020, uh, as the group chief executive. So it was interesting, I suppose, that when I was writing up uh, my 100-day plan, which I think every CEO for some reason feels obliged to write up, um, I did not include a global pandemic in the possibilities. It wasn't something that I had, had planned on. Um, but there you go. It has happened. And... I've had to deal with it, and I suppose to um, to answer Bo's question of is there anything that has prepared me for this in in my previous life um, that and and what perhaps might I have learned that that it helped me to prepare. Um, and when I did work in Canada, I remember I took over um, as the CEO of a very distressed health board uh, in Northern Canada which had run into significant difficulties, both organizationally and financially. Um, and I remember, you know, going out and, and taking over responsibility, assessing the situation and wanting to get on the next plane back to where I come from, because I really didn't think that um, the situation as it was, was, was solvable. Um, and I suppose what I learned from that after I, I realized that that really wasn't an option um, was that the panic isn't a great uh, emotion it, it doesn't really help in a situation of crisis um, and that if one sits down and thinks through clearly what the priorities are and the issues that you need to to deal with in a i suppose uh, a manner that is putting the important first as opposed to the urgent and making sure that you work your way through that any problem is is solvable um, and the real issue, and particularly when it comes to leadership, is for leadership to, to keep calm, but perhaps more importantly than anything else, to make sure that everybody else stays calm. Because if I was feeling the way I felt, um, wanting to get on the airplane, that everybody else had been feeling that way before I got there. So in order for me to, to make sure that we were going to actually accomplish what we had to do, I had to create a, a sense of and, and culture that it was going to be possible to, to solve these problems and that we were going to be able to get back to a new normal and that, that the, the, you know, this problem, if we work together, was going to go away. Um, the next three months, or four months, were probably four of the months that I've enjoyed most in my career. I was only the tender age of 29 at the time, but um, I loved it and uh, it, it taught me a lot of lessons and, and has helped me a lot in what I've had to deal with in the last 10 months. Great. great, great story and an answer there. It shows that it's good to have experience. It, it, sometimes you hear that 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 sort of hinders, prevents you from doing certain things, but it can be a very good help too. Uh, no, just before we let, I'm going to ask Wim what, what, how, 
how, how all of this sounds, but but could you just give us a couple of what what should we know about Musgrave to 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 understand what sort of company it is? Sure. Uh, well, let me start. Musgrave is 146 years old this year, so um, it's a very uh, traditional Irish company. It's still family owned, still owned by the Musgrave family, uh, 75% with 25% owned by the employees and, and management. Um, it started out in, in uh, 1876 as a, a small um, retail store, graduated to become um, a, a delivered wholesaler out to smaller stores, predominantly in, in Southern Ireland. Um, and indeed, you know, used to actually do quite a lot of trade with the, because Cork is a significant port, used to do quite a lot of trade with the ships that would come in and, and would row out to the ships with sugar and tea and supplies uh, and sell them to the various ships that would come in. Um, the business went from strength to strength as a wholesaler. And probably its next big evolution was to happen in, in the 60s, uh, when late 60s, early 70s, uh, when... Hugh McKeown, who would have been the last family managing director and chairman of the business before professional management took over, um, had gone to the continent and had saw the concept of cash and carry um, and had brought that back to Ireland and believed that that was the next evolution of wholesaling and built uh, Robin Hood cash and carry. Bo will know this facility in Dublin. It's a large facility. It was a very big bet for the business at the time. In fact, I, I've had the conversation with Hugh that you know, it was the biggest bet that the company had ever made at that stage, but it paid off. And uh, there are now a network of 11 cash and carries across the island of Ireland that still trade today. And that was truly a, a huge step change for the business. But there was another one to come. Um, and that was because the multiples had started to arrive in Ireland, the multiple supermarkets. And if smaller retailers were going to compete, they were going to have to behave like multiples and, and begin to create a consistent brand experience. So what the business decided to do, and I think the people who are credited with this idea is probably Hugh McKeown and Seamus Scally, who was another ex-CEO and chairman. Um, they created a, a two brands, Super Value, which is a supermarket brand, and a second brand called Centro, which is a convenience store brand. And they believed that if they could recruit enough retailers to change their disciplines, so as they put it, give up a little bit of, in, of their independence in order to hold on to it, um, that they could compete against these chains. And I'm pleased to say that today, SuperValue, uh, and helped by the pandemic, uh, is now the number one uh, supermarket in Ireland in terms of market share, um, followed by uh, Tesco and Dunn Stores, which is another local player, and then the discounters, Little and Aldi. And that is an, that's an incredible accomplishment because there's very few countries in the world where the grocery market, the number one player in the grocery market, is in our independence. It's typically a, a multiple chain. Um, and that's really because of the model. The model is very clever. It, it works with retailers. They own the stores. Uh, we provide the back office support. We provide the logistics. We provide the marketing. We provide the buying support. Their job is to operate the stores and they do a fantastic job uh, because they're able to bring that local community spirit to our stores. Um, the wholesale business then had to transform itself because obviously as retail begin to move into branded uh, product um, or branded solutions rather, the wholesale business had to reinvent itself and it did. And, and it has become, uh, it focused on the food service market 
and it has become now um, the biggest food service player on the island of Ireland with the cash and carry has been transformed into what we call food emporiums now. Uh, you may be familiar with it, the company in Hanos in, in the Netherlands, which is a food service in the what they call the Horeca uh, sector there. And it would be very much akin to that, but also a delivered proposition as well. Um, today, the business, in, and I can share with you the numbers from 2019, we had sales of just under 4 billion. Uh, we have a PBT of 88 million. So it's a, it's a low margin business, as is all food and grocery businesses. We operate on the island of Ireland, so Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Spain. Um, we support about 3,500 retail outlets, independent retail outlets. We employ 10,000 people directly if we take into account the people who work in franchisee stores or our partner stores. That goes up to 45,000. So we're the second biggest private sector employer. Uh, on the island of Ireland, and we're the largest privately held company on the island of Ireland. Well, I I think that, that thanks for that. I you, you must have practiced that. No, <laughs> it, 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 it sounded it was very good because I think it it hits right on the spot of 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 the topic of today. Maybe a sort of a main topic, which is really the resilience of of, of being able to regroup and re reinvent yourself uh, with with or without the pandemic sometimes the pandemic comes in the in the shape and form of Aldi and little and 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 sometimes it comes in the form of, of, of a terrible disease as we have as we have now vim I'm going to throw this at you just just like that and say that how does this what's your reaction to what you to, to know story there and 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 uh, any any immediate questions or or, or, or comments for, from your point of view. Yes, so, so uh, Bo is framing me as a professor who is in, uh, very much interested in practice. So, so well, I'm, I'm very happy that I can interview you and, and contribute to the session. So the thought uh, which crossed my mind is uh, um, when I look at the crisis and, and the way you are telling it to me, I'm always looking at the way people are framing the situation they are in and how they act upon it. Because most of my research is on why companies make mistakes. And so I'm always looking for what are the, the, the mechanisms, the way they have organized themselves such that they run into big trouble. That's basically one of my, my research lines. And I'm doing that research in the audit industry. And uh, because they are heavily critiqued for the work they are doing. But when you start looking at it, you know, it isn't that bad as the press wants us uh, to tell us. But, but, but in your case, I, the, the first word I catch from listening to your story was low margin market. And I thought, and I never realized that, that, that uh, because when uh, just this morning I opened the financial uh, newspapers, said that or uh, the A-Hall Dalhazican uh, uh, group, which you probably know, their profits are sky high. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that, that's good. Uh, but when you look at low margin industry, for example, uh, aviation is, is typically airlines are low margin industry. I thought, okay, uh, what it has shown to me is how vulnerable they are for whatever happens in the environment. And I thought, what was happening in, um, in your group when the first signals were showing up, so said, let's say January, February this year, 
that there might be an issue. In those days, we were really, many of us were really calling it, this is just another flu. We had even presidents whose name I'm not going to mention, who said uh, it's just a fake and whatever. So, so you see, you saw various responses on it can't be true or it isn't that bad. And, 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 and people could prepare themselves and others didn't. So what happened? How did your company frame the situation you might get into in the pre-stage of the crisis? And then I want to ask, question and what happened in the first week of the crisis because probably that um, was a major change in the way you need to run your company yeah yeah okay let, let me let me go back and answer those in turn first of all i hold um wouldn't uh, because there would be effectively there a multiple operator mm -hmm. uh, their profits would be the the sum of the profit that our retailers would make and that we would make and we're effectively wholesalers, and that's why we're mm -hmm. low margin. So, so typically mm -hmm. we have about a two percent return on sales. Um, typically, a good supermarket grocery business where they're owned end to end should be somewhere in the region of nine or ten percent mm -hmm. return on sale. Um, and obviously, in our case, the other margin is going to to our model, uh, and we're we're very proud of that, and and that's why we believe we're as successful as we are. Because you must remember, we don't own the stores; the retailers mm -hmm. do, and they've invested their money. Um, the good thing about the, 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 food, the food business vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the aviation industry is you have to eat. <laughs> you don't mm -hmm. have to fly. Um, so in, in most crises, um, you know, there, there's always opportunity uh, for the food industry because people still need, as I say, to, um, to ultimately nourish the, the very human challenge that we all have of, of keeping ourselves fed and, and alive. Um, the early days, it's interesting you ask that question because I, I, I chair, we have a number of divisions in the business and I chair the divisional boards and my first board meetings were in February and, and late January. And I, I noted when I was back doing the board meetings in the spring that I had said uh, at the end under AOB in each of those meetings, we better keep an eye on this thing that's going on in China, you know, uh, because it, it it does seem to be um, becoming a significant problem, and and we just need to be careful that we plan uh, accordingly for it. And I think at that stage everybody was kind of saying, yeah, we better keep an eye on it. But but as you say, everybody also secretly was thinking that's oh, just another flu, you know, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll get over it. Um, and it actually all happened quite suddenly for us mm -hmm. in in uh, in the early part of March, and it was really when the government came out and began to share the plans of having to lock down the, mm. the economy and having to lock down the community. Um, and suddenly you had this tremendous uh, spike of panic buying. Um, people began to really worry, I think, about, you know, because it was a completely new experience, what does this mean? Uh, what's going to happen? Uh, and they were very worried, obviously, about, about food and, and it was fascinating to see what happened. I mean, they, they, they rushed into categories like um, ambient food, so pasta, mm -hmm. rice, flour, uh, tinned food. You know, I, I was talking to one retailer, retailer who sold out of tinned sardines for the first time in his life. Um, you know, and bizarrely, notwithstanding the fact that um, COVID-19 has no impact whatsoever on your digestive system, toilet paper could not be kept on the shelves. It was just, there was a... a a mad rush for toilet paper, and this was a global uh, trend. Once we realized that, that we had the challenge that we had, 
what we immediately did was we set up a, a effectively a daily management call, a daily executive call, because we knew we had to go into to crisis management mode. Um, and then one senior executive who who oh, would know Car uh, Sharon Buckley, who was our chief commercial officer, was given the responsibility because this was really a, a supply chain slash supply problem. Um, but we also immediately moved to look after and protect our employees and our customers. So we were the first ones before the government brought in any regulations, for example, to put up pers perspex screens uh, in, check in checkouts and stores. We did that immediately. Um, we introduced uh, hygiene in stores immediately and social distancing rules in stores immediately. Um, and I would argue that, that that paid off for us because I think the consumer felt we were a safe place to shop. Um, and that we we cared about their well-being. Similarly, we did the same thing for colleagues. We immediately moved to make sure that they were safe, that, that we had PPE for them, which obviously there was now a demand, a worldwide demand for, um, and that we also introduced the right practices in our warehouses and in the stores that, that, that we own. Um, and then, you know, the challenge then was in the early days, in the first couple of weeks, was truly a supply chain challenge. Where were you going to get product? Um, so we were we were fortunate in some ways, and that obviously we were, we carry a level of stock, so we were able to uh, initially utilize that. We were also able to go to our suppliers because we're the largest player. We have significant clout, I suppose, on the island of Ireland, um, but also because we're in the food service business, and because literally that side of the business collapsed overnight. I mean, the hospitality industry literally closed overnight, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. meant that our food service business disappeared. And we were able to redirect stock immediately into our retail supply chain. But more importantly, we were able to redirect resources. Um, so drivers, um, uh, pickers, uh, you know, warehouse, warehouse colleagues, we were able to do that fast to be able to deal with, with the spike in demand. Uh, we also went out very quickly to look after communities. Um, and to try and assure people that, that you know, we were going to look after them, particularly the more vulnerable and, and older people who are obviously more at risk. Um, and we enjoy a partnership with an organization here called the Gaelic Athletic Association or the GAA, which is, uh, we sponsor the major sports games here. And I, it's hard to explain if you haven't been here, it's a bit like uh, the Premier League in the UK. It's, a, it's the most popular sport in Ireland. And we were able to work with them and get volunteers to, shop for people who were who were older or more vulnerable and look after them uh, in the community uh, and all of these things i think went to our credentials as you know community local retailers um, and then we just literally had to manage the demand that also included going out to consumers and saying look don't panic buy you don't need to panic buy if you do you'll create a problem we, we there is enough food in the supply chain um, but obviously it's hard to, when people are worried about themselves, it's hard to, to get that through. But we did trade very successfully through it. Um, and we got to what, you know, what I would call uh, a new normal. And, and what we saw in store is much less footfall, much higher basket size. So less people coming into store, but buying more when they were in. Uh, and then a move into, as I say, ambient personal care uh, type products and a move away from uh, let's call it deli counters, food to go, uh, that type of, of thing, um, simply because they, had, they were at home and they were able to prepare these things. That actually created a margin problem in the business as well because the margin mix 
uh, you can you make a lot more money out of a sandwich than you do out of a tin of beans. Is all I can say. Um, so the margin mix changes, um, and then the other impact that we saw because people weren't at work was our high convenience uh, stores, our 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 high uh, you know stores that would be located, let's say, in city centres or that would service office workers. Uh, their business dried up overnight because obviously nobody was at work. Um, but they were the early days. They, they were the things that were there. But I, I suppose the key for us and what we prioritized in the early days was the safety of our colleagues, the safety of the our communities and the people that we serve and keeping the food supply chain clean. They were the three big priorities that we set for ourselves. Uh, no, well, looking back at that, that, that what 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 you mentioned there, I think it's a, sort of seems like the operative word, and you said it that 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 you probably saved saved a, a lot in many ways, saved life, I suppose, also, or at least people getting getting ill, and so it's the speed by which you reacted for, first. And I I'm just curious as to how and and when you look at it now. Where did that speed sort of come from? Did you did, did you have help here from with, with how how did you get the sense of crisis? I mean I mean we all know and again not to to to, to chastise anyone on on on, on this uh, on the topic, but there are countries today that haven't seen where leadership hasn't seen the 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 the, the, the uh, seriousness of the of, of the pandemic. So how come you got to see that so fast and realize that that hey this this can I mean even faster than well the officials I think we can say the same here in Finland and I think there are many com- countries where where companies were a bit faster to to react than the the, the officials. But what have, have I, I I think there's a couple of things there. Um, the first thing I would say is that our government. I think it did a reasonably good job. I mean, I think I think they were they, they were clear in the early days that this was a serious problem and and that we had to, you know, make very serious adjustments in our lives if we were going to manage the the inevitability of the fact that the that the that the virus was going to make its way through Ireland in some shape or form. Um, but I think in terms of inside our, our business, um, we have a. a we're we're a very purpose driven values based company is how i would describe us um and our our values that you would be familiar with bo are honesty achievement long term stable relationships working hard and not being greedy and and those five values guide everything that happens in our business uh, our purpose is is growing good business um and what that means is that we we grow businesses that are um obviously commercially successful but they're also ethically appropriate so so how we make money is as important to us as how much money we make um, and we're very community focused and community based and one of the first things that we did is we went out to our employees and I did a number of videos such as the one we're doing now or webinars and we reminded people of their purpose that you know they weren't working in a store uh, they weren't driving a truck they weren't working in a warehouse they were feeding the communities of Ireland that's what they were doing and and the work that they were going to do over the next however many months because we knew it was months was critically important and they were effectively frontline workers they were essential and if they didn't come to work and if they didn't um 
you know, basically do what they do every day, then we wouldn't, as a country, get, get through this, that we were part of the solution. And the second thing we did was we reminded them of how concerned we were about their safety. Um, and we made sure that they had everything that they needed to be able to do their job on the front line. That they, while they, while they were going to have to expose themselves a little bit more than everybody else for the good of the community, we would do everything we possibly could do to protect them. Um, the third thing we did was we gave them recognition for that, and, and we made sure that we called them out for what they were. That these were these were the real heroes, as they say. You know, uh, you know. Not all superheroes wear capes. Well, in our case, you know, our superheroes were wearing, uh, you know, a uniform in a convenience store or a uniform in a supermarket or or driving a truck. They were the heroes, and we actually we actually took a whole page ad in the uh, biggest newspaper we have here on a Sunday, which would have a readership of about over a million, um, just dedicated to our people. Uh, wasn't we weren't advertising what we were selling. We were just recognizing the fact that it was our people who got us through this and it was our people who were committed to the people of Ireland to make sure that no matter what was going to happen, people were going to be able to put food on the table. Um, um, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. The last, thing, the last thing we did, obviously, is that you know because people had to work extraordinary hours and, and put in extraordinary effort, uh, we gave them additional reward as well. But to be honest, you know, in the grocery business, you might expect that wasn't huge. Um, and I think that the reality of it is, is that it, I was I was blown away by how people stepped up to the plate. Every single employee didn't have to be asked. They just got on with it. And they even found time to, to do work for charity and, and recognize, look after elderly people, look after the vulnerable. And indeed, you know, recognize the work that healthcare workers were doing. Our, our logistics, our biggest logistics facility here in Cork made a video to thank the healthcare workers for what they were doing and sent it to them completely unplanned. They did it themselves. No, well, two, 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 two questions uh, come from that. First, given your the, 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 the organization model you have with the franchisees, uh, how did you, and, and with, with hindsight, how, how happy are you with, with the way you got your, all of the, or got got your your franchisees and your customers to see eye to eye. Was it a concerted effort, sort of, or did, or, or, did, did were they actually driving this community, uh, or, or to, to to what what extent were they driving the community connection? I, I think that this is this is what gave us the competitive advantage over the rest of the market, Mo, because our partners are probably more community focused than we are. They, they live in the communities, they own the stores, they know who their customers are, and they immediately moved to make sure of, you know, the safety of their customer base, the safety of their colleagues. Um, we didn't, they were pushing us, we didn't have to push them. Yeah. Uh, and it was fascinating uh, that, you know, we, we even had, um, you know, we, we had a scenario in one of our stores where you know the, the it made the local radio where uh, a gentleman wanted to enter the store with three or four of his children and and the, and the store owner said look I'm sorry it's it's just not safe and and you're gonna you know you're gonna have to go in on your own because it's one trolley one you know one one shopper and you know hard decisions like that to make sure that people were kept safe. Um, and as a consequence of that, you know, we, we obviously monitor social media about what people say, 
about our brands. And one of the fascinating things that came through on the brand quite a bit was, you know, Super Value is the safest place to shop. Um, and we are still outperforming the market. We've done that now for five months in a row. We're still growing faster than our competitors. And I believe that that has been a huge part of it, that, that community, community ethos and that um, care for people's well-being. Vim, do you have a, a, a question to throw in here in between? I still have one more to go, but go, do you go, you go first? Yeah, sure, sure. I, I, have a, I, have a, I want to make a remark and I have a question. And 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 uh, again, so so Bo puts me in the role of the scientist. So I'm playing my role now, because I thought when listening to your story, you're saying four things which would fit in my let's say my research models. The first I wrote down, uh, and that was for me uh, a, a really a trigger. Is you said, you know, we're doing business as a purpose. We are serving Ireland. And then the second you said, um, next what we did was we put up safety first for our workers. And uh, the third you're saying, uh, then we recognize uh, they are the superheroes. We make clear that they are uh, serving Ireland. They're not just driving a lorry or a van or whatever. And then finally you said something which I thought is also very important. You said, well, we, we recognized the extra efforts. We gave them some extra rewards. There wasn't much. And we were blown away what people did. And, and that would bring me to my question. Because let's say from a research perspective, I would say uh, this is typical a situation where everything would fit in my models and where the model would predict that's the situation when you get them most out of it to motivate your people. Uh, because uh, my lesson learned is you don't need the financial rewards. So what I've seen with the people around uh, in, in my own group and, and the place where I'm working is they, they made over hours without you know billing us. For it. They just did it because they love their job. And they're very loyal to what they're doing because they see the relevance of what they're doing. And that looks at this the same in, in, in your case. Now, so what I would expect as, as a next challenge now is um, what would be a lesson learned for you now that you have seen this happening? What the potential is in your company and maybe also in, in, in other companies? What are the, 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 the lessons learned for, let's say, your future HR policies or the future the way you could organize your company now that you know? Yeah, I, I, for me, I think the key Vim, is make sure assumption is, is something that it's, it's, you know, particularly as leaders, you often assume things that are just quite simply wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and what you learn is at the end of the day, we're all human. It, it doesn't matter whether you're the chief executive or whether you manage a store, whether you drive a truck, whether you push trolleys at a car park, you're a human being. Um, and all humans work in a very similar way. And, and not all humans self-actualize at work. They self-actualize in, in different ways. Um, and in order to, in my view, get what I would call discretionary effort from people. So, so you know, how, when you want to get a little bit more than they're, that they're paid to give you, right? The only way to do that is to, to capture their, their soul, cap, capture their purpose, 
you know, get them to understand that they're doing something more significant than they think they're doing. And, and I'm sure you've, you've often heard the, the story of the two, the two men breaking rocks in a quarry and they ask the first man what he's doing and he says he's breaking rocks. And then they ask the second man what he's doing and he says he's building a cathedral. You know, and and I think the key is to make sure that that everybody understands they're building cathedrals at some level. You know, because it, it, at some level they are. You know, they, they they're involved in a much bigger um, purpose. The second thing is that you should never underestimate people, and and sometimes leaders do. Um, and I think what the, the real lesson here is I can remember the debates that has gone on over the years over remote working. Mm-hmm. Oh, people watch the TV or. They'll go play golf or, you know, well, lo and behold, I mean, everybody, all our office space staff, 1,450 of them have been working from home since last March. And I cannot see a loss in productivity. And arguably, I, I'm seeing an improvement in productivity. Um, and the challenge we're having is to get people to get a good work-life balance at home so that they're not checking on their computers at 8 o'clock in the evening uh, when they wouldn't be able to do that if they were coming back and forth to work. Um, and all these myths. Uh, you know that uh, were there are just nonsense. It's all these assumptions that, that this couldn't be done are just nonsense. Uh, so I think as a business, uh, that that's the first big lesson. The second big lesson, in my view, is pace of change. We were able to do things uh, during an, the COVID nineteen crisis, particularly in the early days, at a pace that I've never seen before. And I would consider as our, I would consider ourselves a reasonably agile company. But because we were in crisis mode, we were able to get things done very, very quickly. Uh, and we didn't have the endless analysis as to whether it was a good idea or not, because we didn't have any choice. It was just move now because we need the space or we need the capacity or whatever the case might be. And I read a, an interesting article recently, actually, that I, I think it was um, McKinsey that went out and, and spoke to a number of global CEOs. And one of the things that they said was, you know, the, the fact that they were able to get things done that they thought they would never be able to get done in the time space that they had. Uh, and an interesting phrase that came out of that is, you know, they're asking themselves now, you know, as we go back into norm and, and rather than going back to where we were, you know, what's, what's your COVID-19 answer to that problem? What's your COVID-19 uh, opinion on that problem? Uh, and I think that's an interesting way to look at things because because the the pace has been incredible. So I think the two big lessons would be first, don't assume anything because chances are you're wrong. And secondly, you know, there's nothing like don't waste a good crisis. Uh, there's nothing like like that type of a situation to be able to accelerate change in an organization. You know, what a question on that follow up question on that what what that that, that one of course it's a million dollar one I'm sure. Uh, it, of course, is that to be fair, what what we have seen now, the crisis we have experienced experienced now, is, is sort of exceptional. So and 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 I mean, uh, well, we go back a few years, and and and, and oh, 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 every year, I mean, there's been market has gone up, market has been gone down, and there's been those sorts of crises. I mean, uh, profitability crisis and and maybe a financial crisis in Europe and so on. But but for in, in, in our generation, this has probably been in our parts of the world has been one of has been the one which has actually been threatening to threatening to life. Yes. And, and one and ha, has hit home in, in all. I mean, people have had their kids home from school and and, and they can't visit them. They're, they're, they're old folks. And 
and so on and so and, and so forth. So what I I suppose I'm I, I I don't ask you. I'm just throwing it out there that that how far can we when going going further now say that they actually get the vaccine out in a few months or half a year or a year or whatever. Uh, how far do we think that this this effect uh, will sort of be? Or, and in and 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 can it be transferred? I mean, will will we see people actually be moved by maybe things less uh, than pandemic <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in a year or so? And can you? What are the prerequisites? What should we do in organizing the company, in 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 behaving as leaders, in doing whatever, to get people to be a bit more people, and also maybe our leaders and managers to be that much more. Uh, ear to the ground when it comes to listening to real both our our employees and our customers, I suppose, uh, for a year from now, and still be able to have this uh, agility and this speed and all of that, or or does it always require a, a crisis of of threat threatening to life? Uh, I I mean, you know, obviously, you're absolutely right. This has been an unprecedented situation for. For any of us, it's been over a hundred years, or almost a hundred years since it happened before. Um, and, and just in case, contrary to Donald Trump, it, the Spanish flu was not what killed everybody and stopped the Second World War. That was the First World War. But anyway, there you go. We'll give them a history lesson at some stage. Um, the the um, so there's no doubt that there is an element of of benefit in that. But I I don't believe that. I think there are things that there's that will stay with us permanently. Um, and I think one of the big things there will be around ways of working. So, you know, rather than just assume that when the pandemic is over, everybody's going to come back to our offices, we have actually been out surveying our people saying, well, what do you think? You know, do you want, you know, what's your perspective? And the vast majority of people, they don't want to work at home all of the time, but they want a better level of flexibility. They'd like to maybe get a better mix between in the office and in the home. Um, and... I think, you know, that for us, I suppose what I've learned is it doesn't really matter where people are because they can do their job from, from anywhere. And, and, and therefore, we shouldn't be obsessed with making people move uh, or we shouldn't be obsessed with, with making people come to the office. We should just be obsessed with, with making sure that we get the work done um, and how they, how they get it done is, is their problem. Um, that will obviously play into significant issues such as the commercial property markets, uh, you know, already we're seeing that in Dublin where, you know, Ireland was one of the most, Dublin was one of the most expensive commercial property markets in the world. Uh, I read a prediction recently by one of our, you know, probably one of the best economy, economists in the country who, who is you know, predicting a, a crash in commercial property values simply because, you know, we're not going to need all this office space. And, and in particular in retail, uh, what we did see is a, a massive shift towards online as well. So our online business went up 300% uh, in the first four weeks of, of the pandemic. So to try and put that in perspective for you, that would be like building eight super values in three weeks. Um, you know, and uh, so, and, and obviously a, a lot of non-food retail shifted very, very quickly to, to the internet. And I think that, that that is potentially a permanent change as well. I think in terms of the question on, on leadership, for me, what the pandemic did um, was it, 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 it exposed the fact that we're all human. Um, 
And I therefore believe that leaders, including myself, and I'd like to think I would have done it anyway, but I think all leaders had to uh, demonstrate a sense of humility, um, and particularly in industries like ours, because, you know, the reality of it is if I didn't come to work because of the pandemic, you know, chances are the world would have gone on and, and people would have been fine. If our truck drivers didn't come to work, if our, if our warehouse workers didn't come to work, if our, you know, in-store staff didn't come to work, people were going, not going to be able to get food. So, you know, I think we need to, as leaders, be much more humble and, and understand uh, that actually uh, just because we, we lead the organization, that doesn't give us any special status. It, it's actually a privilege to, to have that leadership role and that our job actually is to inspire people. And, and I think for the future, what we should remember from that humility is the opportunity to, to for you know, to, to implement things like inspirational and transformational leadership approaches, um, which, you know, are, are well documented for, for many years, but haven't been adopted, in my view, as well as they could be, um, because people, you know, some people still approach leadership in a very different way. Uh, but what this exposed, as I said, was the fact that, you know, actually, um, we're all human and we're completely dependent in, a, in an industry like ours, and I arguably any industry, on the whole organization. Uh, making a contribution. So, so can I? Can we go as far as uh, going as far as saying that that maybe actually it's also easier now to get leaders maybe who who, who haven't been uh, that that open to 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 transformational leadership and that sort. Of, they they are they are better listeners now. Would you would you do you think this have, has impacted leaders? Uh, also, managers, team leaders, all uh, as well. I, is, is that? I, I think it has, uh, and I think anybody who, who in my view has any level of let's call it, um, what they as they call it EQ, emotional intelligence, will understand that that that's actually what happened during the pandemic. There's always going to be people who still think that it is their job to tell other people what to do and and not engage them and not somehow bring them back to the purpose of, of what they do. Um, yeah. But in my view, the leaders that will succeed or will have better results in the future will be the ones who who understand how to bring people with them, not tell them where to go. Uh, we're, we're, we have a, a, a few minutes to go. And I wonder, I, since I know also that, that one of Wim's favorite topics is and, 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 and passions is really the, well, uh, learning and making, ex extracting learning out of out of out of out of real real life. And I'm, I I mean yes, what I hear and what we hear is very much we sort of have done. We had had to do the job. There was a job to be done, and we did it. We have to keep the people safe and so on and so forth. Um, now with a few months later. So, sort of in, in, uh, done. What can we? How can we sort of reap the the, the learnings and insights now? What, what have you in in the company put, um, created any 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 signature ways of of really getting people's insights? And I I suppose I'm talking about retailers as well now, and but also your 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 employees in 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 the in the company about getting their insights about what can we make of this and maybe even what more 
what, what can we, what new, what new products can we develop? Services in, in, in your case, of course. What, what sort of new, new business opportunities arise from this? Because there's bound to be some when we, when we get to that, that, that point. How, how far have you got in thinking of this uh, about, about uh, issues such as this? Well, I mean, first of all, as I said, I um, I came in as a CEO in January, so I, I I had my first management conference in January, and I presented a strategic framework for the future of the business, um, and and part of that was building on our purpose. So our purpose of, of growing good business, which I've already explained, and if I said if the, if that's the why, and if that's why we exist, then then what are we going to do? You know, in order to fulfill that purpose, um, and and the new language that I introduced in January was build a world class food and beverage business that delivers market leading customer experiences every day. Um, and the reason that that language is very deliberate, um, world class, because we're we're in a world class market. We fight with world class retailers, and if we're not world class, then then we won't win. Uh, world class because we are world class, and, and I say that with pride. Centra, as a as a convenience store brand, has won the best convenience store brand in the world, not once but twice. Um, and I believe that our super value brand and our marketplace brand are also world class when it comes to to food leadership. Uh, market leading customer experiences because I believe that the consumers of the future will judge you on the end to end experience, not just the product. Um, and what happens in store or what happens if they're shopping online. Um, and then every day is because that's what brands do. They're consistent. So if that's the, if that's the what for the why, then what's the how? Um, and the how uh, for us is, has five pillars. One is winning brands, which is, is obvious I won't go into. The next one is strong partnerships about our retailers. The third one is sustainability and building a, a sustainable business. The first one is about the fourth one rather is about customer centered solutions. So not just selling people products, but selling them solutions and making their lives easier and taking pain points away. And then the last one, which is more to your question, is something that we're calling one Musgrave. And, and you'll be familiar with that, Mo, that Musgrave as a business was and is siloed um, into various divisions. And they're almost like or were almost like separate businesses. Um, and I believe that we're stronger together. So what we're doing is we've, we've left the front end of the business from the point of view of retail, wholesale and food service and international, but we've consolidated the rest of the business now. So we'll have one HR, one supply chain, one finance serving our business units. Uh, and what the pandemic did was when I introduced that, obviously it was very different um, and created a level of, of significant excitement and fear all at the same time because people saw the logic of it but also wondered how is this going to affect me um, but what the pandemic did was it allowed us to make much more progress on that agenda than we would have had we not had it so you know we were forced to consolidate our supply chain we were forced for our human resource functions to work together to share resource um, we were forced to pull our IT infrastructure together um, so the lessons there, in my view, that should stick with us is that, you know, we're, we're better together and, and we need to leverage that out going forward and never forget the fact, never forget the lessons that this pandemic has, has taught us and don't slip back into uh, the, let's call it the, the, the comfort zone that perhaps the organization was in 
prior to the pandemic. So we just can't, we can't lose, I think, that, that momentum that we've gained. And, and we, we've got to permanently change some things. As I said earlier, we went out to our people and we're, we're asking them now, how do you want to work? And we're going to give them a say in that. We're what we call gossiping success across the organization every week where we talk about what's going on. We're encouraging people to comment. We're encouraging people to feedback. Uh, we're encouraging people to be part of, of, of the community that is most grave rather than the business that is most grave. Uh, that, that, that last one, you don't know how, how happy that makes him. I can see a smile on his face because that's one, one of the, re, re, the, the more research uh, comes through also very much so that the platforms are, we have had this discussion in, in various other situations where the, the, the importance of the platforms for 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 creating the convert the, the dialogue right Wim, i suppose uh... yeah so so uh, uh i i thought uh noel uh, if you ever would have time write a management book about the new management yeah 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 honestly uh because the way you're telling it i thought he, he has been he's been walking literally out of one of my articles and where we're constantly telling people this is the way to go and you're doing it and I always thought maybe I will never meet someone who is doing the kinds uh, all the things here you're saying so that's that's really what I what I'm enjoying and and uh, uh, because you're saying things like we, we never thought we could have done it uh, we were forced to do it and we did it and 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 I work at a place where where people have a very strong belief in that basically you can't trust the other, and therefore you need to have performance measures in place. You need to have KPIs or whatever. And if you don't have that in place, you know the, the company won't run. And 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 um, the way you're profiling it is much more. I would say it gets close to what a psychologist, a positive psychologist would say. You need to appreciate what people are doing. Now, of course, some people might still not do what you're looking for, but focus on the ones who, who are uh, uh, doing it. So I have a question for you. Be because now suppose Bo, you and me would set up a consult, a new consulting firm <clears throat> based on our experience. What kind of would be our typical tools to look at at, at a, a, a company who is asking for advice because they need to de-silo, they, they, people are complaining about the lack of autonomy and whatever. It just basically all comes down to the four points you were mentioned earlier in terms of the humbleness of the leader that you need to trust them, you need to uh, show what's the purpose of the company. Is, is that essentially all where it comes down to or is it something which is you know that the longer we are staying in this crisis that maybe we need something else on top of that as well i i i think the one probably the one topic we haven't discussed them is is the area of belief um and and i believe rightly or wrongly um, the people will only do what they believe, mm -hmm. and they will only believe what they discover. You know, they've they've got to discover it for themselves. Uh, you cannot tell people what to believe; they've, mm -hmm. they've got to figure it out. Um, but if they believe it, 
then then you can do extraordinary things. Um, and my own view is that you know I, I I'm I'm fascinated by human beings. I always have been all my life, and the reason I am is because everything that we have around us, with the exception of nature, um, has been invented by a human being. You know, the technology that you and I are speaking on at the moment was invented mm. by a human being. Electricity, mm. the ability to fly. Um, and why did that happen? Well, it happened because they believed it. Um, but it also happened because they believed it so much that they were going to continue to focus on getting the right result, even if, even in the in the in the face of failure, you know. So, you know, if you the the, the, the often overquoted Thomas Edison of, you know, well, if you know, I didn't fail three thousand times, I just proved that they didn't work, or, or what if the what if the Wright brothers, the first time they brought out that airplane when it mm-hmm. crashed to the ground, as we've all seen, uh, and they just said, said, well, that's it, we're not going to fly, you know. And and interestingly, they're they're a good example of. Uh, you know, two guys who had a bicycle shop who were who believed genuinely believed that it was possible for a human being to fly. Uh, there was another gentleman whose name won't come to me at the moment, who was heavily funded by the U.S. government at the same time to try and figure that out, and he failed. and And he failed because it was all about him; it wasn't about his belief. So, so I believe that if if you can get people to believe something, then anything is possible as long as it's not folly, as long as it's not magic. But, but you can do extraordinary things. And when brilliant leaders, in my view, get people or, or, or enable people to do things that they never thought they could do themselves. Thank you. Very, very good note to, to, to finish on also. And I, I just can't resist throwing in one. And, and you know, this is really not a, rhetor- not a question even. It's a rhetoric comment really just about I think that uh, going together with that belief and the, the humility and the focus on people that you are talking about, I think uh, that we will see uh, one of the the, 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 the sort of the, the, the roots to the resilience you have, Noel, some, by the sound of it, it is also that model, that business model of yours, which makes you so much, it's today as it was 15 years ago, and it was before that, it's it's uh, 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 really one of the, the the strong factors making you resilient also for the for the times for the times to come. So you will be anchored in in in, in the local, anchored anchored with with consumers, anchored with customers, and you will have actually well the modern word for that would be on a, the, 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 they're all part of the part of the community, and even more so they're part of a, of your innovation eco ecosystem. And, and ecology. I mean, they they, they they all have their roles to their roles to 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 play, even though they haven't accepted that they they are not paid to do that, but they are doing it because they are humans being beings and want to create create a better life for themselves or for their their village or their 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 their, their, their town or, or or so on. Thank you very much, uh, Noel, for for sharing with us so freely your your thoughts. Uh, I think it was. A, um, I'm looking at my friend here. Wim, we, we, you got a lot for your greed for your your research, and 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 I think that there are there would be quite a few other a number of other industries that would and, and and people from other industries that would say the same. However, I also there's something 
for us non-Irish. Uh, I think that that uh, there's something very special. You have you we, we've read our history books, and we have read how the the struggles of the Irish and all of that. Well, of course, there's been the struggles of the Finns too. So let's not get overly excited here. However, with the Irish and those, I, I I also can think that when you say that you got your your people to, they need they are they are have a higher purpose. We take care of the of of the people, and we take. We are we are not we are sort of, it's not about making money it's about taking care of the people and and feeding the people. There's something mythical about that. I I think let's not explore that further. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a Talent Miles Talks podcast produced by Talent Miles, the company using digital approaches to create more dialogue and learning in teams and faster change in companies. Learn more at www.talentmiles.pro.